Good morning. Welcome to the Westminster Town Hall Forum. My name is Tim Hart Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and I will be moderating today's forum. You've been listening to an organ program by Dr. Melanie Nineman, who is the Minister of Music and the Arts here at Westminster. Let's give her another round of applause. Westminster is honored to present Mr. Millard Fuller, founder and president of Habitat for Humanity International, speaking to us today on Excitement is Building. We are grateful to Wells Fargo Home Mortgage and Wells Fargo Bank, Minnesota, for co-sponsoring today's forum and the community picnic that will follow directly after. We're pleased to have you with us today, Mr. Fuller. In just a few minutes, the folks from Minnesota Public Radio will begin taping us for broadcast next week on the midday program on its news and information stations. As most of you know, the forum is generally broadcast live, but we were preempted today by Governor Jesse Ventura and the Minnesota meeting. I hope their meeting has something to do about affordable housing. That's the topic today. And I also hope that... <laughs> I also hope he has an, as enthusiastic a crowd as we have today here at Westminster. The silver lining for this is that you can all tune in next week on your favorite local NPR station and hear Mr. Fuller all over again. Before we begin, as usual, I want to take care of a few housekeeping items and more importantly invite you all to the picnic that will follow today's forum. First, the housekeeping items. Following Mr. Fuller's remarks, we will have an opportunity for questions and answers. Simply write your questions on the note cards that you should by now have in your possession and then pass them to the ushers at the break. Many thanks to Jenny Bartholomew and Mary Beth Kohler for sorting your questions today. Thanks also to Barnes & Noble booksellers who provided the books for today's forum. Mr. Fuller's books, Theology of the Hammer and More Than Houses are both available for sale in the foyer just inside the 12th Street door which is out this sanctuary to your left. And now on to the festivities which will immediately follow the forum. You may have noticed the blue and white striped tent that's on the Wells Fargo Plaza next to Westminster. It looks like we're getting ready for a picnic because we are having a picnic following this event. We have something exciting to celebrate in conjunction with Millard Fuller's appearance here at the Westminster Town Hall Forum. And we hope you will join us for an exciting announcement and a, a good lunch out on the plaza after this. Our thanks again to Wells Fargo Home Mortgage and Bank for its co-sponsorship of today's forum and also for hosting the picnic outside along with co-hosts Twin Cities Habitat for Humanity, the Downtown Faith Communities Housing Initiative, Westminster Presbyterian Church and the Town Hall Forum. Now I want to give you instructions as to how we get from here to there. It's relatively simple. After the forum has concluded around one o'clock, we'll ask you to rise and exit the sanctuary that way down onto the, the mall. Those of you who want to buy books would go this way, and then just turn left, and the, the hot dogs and goodies are all there ready to go. At this time, I would like to ask any of you who have cell phones or beepers that will make noise to turn them off. This is just like Sunday church. We try not to have too many interruptions in the sermon. Again, welcome to the Westminster Town Hall Forum. I'll take a moment's break, and then we'll begin our taping of today's forum.
Welcome to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, Voices of Conscience from an Ethical Perspective. My name is Tim Hart Anderson. I'm the senior pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and I will be moderating today's forum. The forum originates from Westminster Church in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Millard Fuller as our guest today. The title of his speech is Excitement is Building. Today's forum is co-sponsored by Wells Fargo Home Mortgage and Wells Fargo Bank, Minnesota. Millard Fuller is the founder and president of Habitat for Humanity International. Since its founding in 1976, Habitat volunteers have built homes together with more than 100,000 families in 1,500 U.S. cities in 76 other countries. Over 500,000 people now have safe, affordable housing due to Habitat's work around the world. Mr. Fuller was born in Alabama and graduated from Auburn University and the University of Alabama Law School. After early successes in business, Millard and his wife, Linda, reevaluated their priorities, sold all of their possessions, and gave the money to the poor. They then initiated a ministry in housing where they built modest homes on a no-profit, no-interest basis thus making homes affordable to families with low incomes. This ministry eventually grew into the Habitat model, wherein families invest their own labor into the building of their homes. This reduces the cost of the house, increases pride of ownership, and fosters positive community involvement. Millard Fuller received the Medal of Freedom from President Clinton in September 1996. He and his wife were awarded the Harry S. Truman Public Service Award and he also received the Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award from both the state of Georgia and the King Center. Please join me now in welcoming Millard Fuller. Thank you very much. It is just great to be in beautiful Minneapolis, where every day is beautiful, like today. Uh, this is a great city. In fact, the, the Twin Cities, I think, is uh, one of the great metropolitan areas of our country, and I always love to come here. Uh, I am particularly glad to be here on this occasion as you launch uh, a Double the Homes, Double the Hope campaign. Uh, we had uh, uh, an event earlier this morning, a prayer breakfast uh, in the north side of the city. And uh, Sarah Anderson there, uh, who is chairman of the campaign that will fund uh, this Double Your Homes, Double Your Hope campaign, uh, announced some wonderful uh, commitments that have already been made to this effort. And I'm sure it's going to be a great success. Uh, I'm glad to be here with Stephen Seidel and with his outstanding team. Uh, I think uh, Twin Cities Habitat Humanity is one of the uh, finest and one of the most effective and most productive Habitat Humanity affiliates, not only in the United States, but in the world. And I commend Stephen Seidel and all of his people for an incredibly good job that's already been done and for the ongoing work that keeps getting better all the time. This is a dynamic organization, and I am just so thrilled with it. Uh, in fact, uh, all across this great state of Minnesota, Habitat is now working in 31 uh, different communities, 
I know at this gathering today, many of you are here from other cities, from other affiliates of Habitat Humanity. We also have 18 campus chapters of Habitat Humanity at various colleges and universities and some high schools across the state of Minnesota. So Habitat Humanity is alive and well and doing so much outstanding work uh, here in this beautiful state. So I'm delighted and honored uh, to be with you. The excitement is building, and that is obviously and clearly the case here in the Twin Cities. But as I said, it's happening not only uh, here, but across the state of Minnesota and uh, throughout this country and uh, now around the world uh, in more than 70 nations. This is the 25th year of Habitat for Humanity International as a ministry. We started out in uh, rural southwest Georgia, uh, building one house for one family in need. And from that humble beginning, over the last two and a half decades, the work has steadily expanded all around the world until, as you heard in the introduction, uh, we recently dedicated our 100,000th house. This year, we will build another 20,000 houses. And if you do the calculations, that means that we are building another house for another family in need, on average, every 26 minutes. And uh, so by the end of this year, we'll be up to about 120,000 houses. Uh, it took us 24 years to build the first 100,000 houses. We've now launched what we call our More Than Houses campaign, uh, which will enable us to build the next 100,000 not in another 24 years, but in five years. So by the year 2005, we'll be ready to dedicate uh, the 200,000th Habitat Humanity House, which means at that point, we will have housed a million people. It's exciting uh, what's happening uh, all across the land and around the world. This year, being our 25th anniversary year, uh, we are observing uh, this milestone in our history in several ways. Uh, we started off in December uh, with what we call our Hollywood Bill. Uh, we got uh, the entertainment industry out in uh, California to come together, over 3,000 of them, and we built 20 houses in a week-long blitz. Uh, that was quite exciting. And we had people like Dustin Hoffman out there driving nails and Robin Williams cracking jokes and driving a few nails, uh, <laughs> and Maria Shriver and other well-known people that we see in our uh, movie uh, houses. So uh, that was uh, the first event of the year. Then in the springtime, uh, as we have done now for several years, we have what is called Collegiate Spring Challenge, where we challenge students uh, to use their spring break. And instead of going down to Daytona Beach or Fort Lauderdale and laying on the beach and drinking beer and jumping out of windows, uh, we challenge them uh, to go to a habitat site and build habitat houses. So this year, uh, from uh, affiliates, from, from campus chapters rather, at more than 650 colleges and universities, uh, nearly 10,000 students used their spring break this year to build habitat houses. And they went out from over 200 universities and they worked in more than 200 cities and they raised almost a million dollars. So that was an exciting event that took place uh, from mid-February until early April. Uh, then just uh, last week, uh, we had what was called our Women's Legacy Bill. Uh, last year, we asked every First Lady, the wives of the different governors uh, in 47 states and three women governors, to build a Habitat House. Every single First Lady in the United States built a Habitat House. 
and the three women governors each built a habitat house. So as a second uh, phase of that uh, initiative, uh, we had the Women's Legacy Build uh, launched in Denver, Colorado last week. We had almost 500 women there, including three first ladies, first lady of Maryland, first lady of Colorado, first lady of Arkansas, and a lot of other prominent uh, women and other women from all walks of life came together, nearly 500 of them, and built five houses in a five-day blitz. Uh, now the men were not left out. They prepared meals and refreshments. But the women uh, built the houses, and it was a very, very exciting uh, uh, event. And now they are spreading out all across the country, and there'll be more and more women builds, including a big women build here in just a few weeks uh, in the Twin Cities. A couple of houses will be built entirely by women. Um, in August of this year, we are having our next really big event. Uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Carter's in town today uh, in connection with an event involving Walter Mondale. And Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind, as all of you know, are our two most famous volunteers in Habitat Humanity. They've gone out every year since 1984, and they have uh, built Habitat houses. They'll, they'll, they give a week uh, of their time each year to go somewhere and uh, do hard labor at building habitat houses. They started in New York City, uh, renovating a six-story building for 19 families in 1984, and then every year they've gone to cities all across America and to other countries. Uh, in August of this year, we will go to Korea. Uh, during August uh, 5 through 11, uh, we will be in Korea, uh, and President Carter will be working there with uh, the president of Korea, Kim Dae-jung, his wife, uh, the President uh, Kim Dae-jung's wife, Madam Lee, uh, and they will be working with us in six different cities, building a total of 132 houses. Uh, the churches of Korea especially have been very generous in providing funds for the building of those houses, but also support from the corporate community and other segments of society, just as we get such wonderful support like that here in the Twin Cities and uh, across the country and in other countries too. But we will be there in Korea building those 132 houses, and that will be the focal point of what we call our first ever World Leaders Build. Uh, we are asking the head of state or the head of government in all the countries around the world where we work to build in their respective countries while we are building in Korea. We already have acceptances from about 30 countries, the presidents, the prime ministers, the kings, uh, the other heads of state or heads of government have agreed to, to build with us. Uh, I was in Guyana, the small country on the northeast shore of South America, three weeks ago, and met with the new president of that country, uh, President Jagdio, who had only been in office a week when I was there. And I invited him uh, to join in building 11 houses in the capital city of Georgetown. He has agreed to do so. And consistent with Habitat philosophy being uh, a reconciling ministry. That's a very big part of who we are as a ministry. Uh, we use in this work what we call the theology of the hammer. Uh, you know, true religion uh, has to be more than singing and talking. I mean, I, I come from the South. I was born and raised in Alabama. I live in Georgia. We all know that's where God lives. He visits Minnesota from time to time. Uh, but down there, we know how to talk religion. Uh, we know the first and great commandment, which is this, thou shalt go to church. And the second is likened to it, thou shalt try to get everybody else to go to church. And then to be a totally devoted disciple of Jesus, you work on your ministerial tone and learn how to send God and Jesus. 
And, uh, and then we know if you get all that down, you're a good Christian. And uh, you don't need to worry about anything else. Uh, but if you study the Bible carefully, you'll see that true religion uh, involves talking, it involves singing, but it has to have an action component. Uh, you don't build any houses just singing about it and talking about it. Uh, Sometimes sometime you got to dismiss the service and get out and get some hammers and saws uh, if you're going to get any houses built. So the theology of the hammer, uh, it has that aspect. And the other aspect is that we try to bring together people who are different, people who are on different sides of issues. For example, we have Catholics and Protestants building houses together in Belfast, Northern Ireland. We have African-Americans and Caucasians building houses together in Selma, Alabama. And so when I met with President Jagdio in Guyana, uh, and you probably don't know the politics of that small country, but there's a great division there, and I asked President Jagdio if he would invite the opposition leader uh, to build with him, which he said he would. And then I talked to the opposition leader, and I said, the president's going to invite you, you should go. So that is the spirit of Habitat Humanity, uh, of trying to bring diverse people together. I remember in 1997, Jimmy Carter was in Pikeville, Kentucky, uh, working, building a bunch of houses, and I was in. I walked in a room one day, and there he was, all sweaty and dusty and dirty from having worked so hard. And he was carrying another piece of sheetrock to put up there uh, on the wall. And I looked over to the other side to see who was helping him out, and it was Newt Gingrich. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, uh, in the United States at least, I've discovered the outer limits of the theology of the hammer. <laughs> but that's uh, that's what this ministry is about. It's bringing people together. Uh, so we, uh, uh, we go all across party lines, we go across religious lines, and what we concentrate on is getting people to lay aside political and religious differences and say no matter what we are religiously or politically, we ought to agree on a hammer. We ought to agree on this simple tool of the construction trade and use it as a way to manifest God's love, a way and a practical way to, to go out into our communities and to make it possible for people to have a decent place in which to live. We're holding this forum today in this beautiful sanctuary. I'm sure all of you are impressed with it, with the beauty of it, as I am. But you know, uh, in a sanctuary like this, uh, you, you, you think of uh, religious language. And one of the terms that all of us are familiar with, regardless of our religious tradition, is the word grace. Uh, the word grace, the unmerited love of God. Grace, we like that word. Uh, one of our most favorite songs in this country is Amazing Grace. And even people uh, who are not uh, religious people love that song. It's in the, it's in the secular uh, world now. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And uh, we like the idea of grace. We like a graceful situation. We like graceful people. But the other side of grace is disgrace. And I want you to think about uh, housing in those terms. Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, in so many ways, are graceful cities. Some of the most beautiful buildings, some of the most beautiful neighborhoods in the country are in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. And all across this great state of Minnesota, you have some of the most beautiful landscapes, some of the most graceful Wonderful people live here. But at the same time, there are sections of cities. There are situations in our communities, here in Minneapolis and St. Paul and in other communities around the state, 
that are not, by anybody's definition, all that graceful. And you go to other places, you go down to Ohio and Chicago and the inner city of Newark, New Jersey and New York and Detroit, and you have incredibly disgraceful situations. And those of us who are concerned, those of us who believe that we ought to use our lives to make the world a better place, we ought to dedicate ourselves to change disgrace into grace. That's the challenge. And that's why in our work in Habitat for Humanity, we are committed to the simple concept that everybody who gets sleepy at night ought to have a decent place in which to sleep on terms they can afford to pay. To me, providing that simple thing for all families, for all people, is the right and graceful and godlike thing to do. And so I've always felt that our work is, is God's work. I've always felt that the whole issue of affordable housing, of providing adequate shelter for all people, is at its core a religious issue. It's not only a political issue, an economic and a social issue, it's a religious issue. And I come at this as a Christian, and my reading of the Christian scriptures is that God expects this of me. After all, the scriptures teach us that we should love God with our whole hearts, minds, soul, and strength, but we should love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. And if truth be known, most of us love ourselves a little bit more than we love our neighbors. <laughs> we wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and you say, mm, there you are, a gift to the world. <laughs> but the challenge is not to quit loving yourself. That's good. That's not bad. But we need to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. And if we can do that in the real world, out there on Thursday afternoon, then we begin to change things. I remember when we first got started down in rural Sumter County, Georgia, we laid off some lots and started building our first houses and some neighbors started coming around and, you know, in a rural area, everybody's curious about what everybody else is doing. What's going on here? See you getting ready to build some houses. Yeah, that's right. Who are you building these houses for? Well, we're going to build them for all these people around here living in shacks. Well, why would you want to do something like that? You can't make any money out of those folks. Well, we're not going to do it to make money. Well, why in the world would you do it? Because we've been reading the Bible. What's the Bible got to do with it? Because the Bible says we should love one another. And this is a practical way to express love. They say, how's the program going to work? Well, we said we're going to sell houses at no profit and no interest. They said, what? That sounds un-American. <laughs> we said, but we got the idea out of the Bible. They said, but this is middle of the week. You're not supposed to be talking about the Bible <laughs> on Thursday. And we said, maybe we ought to put God's ideas to work in the middle of the week. And they said, it sounds like a communist scheme. <laughs> but in spite of the scoffers and the cynics, we just kept building, using this unlikely idea of no profit and no interest and sweat equity and long-term to pay and building houses for all people regardless of race or religion. And the little idea has now 
become a movement and it's spreading all over the world and it's changing lives and it's making things better and it's changing disgrace into grace. A week ago, I was down in Florida and uh, I had uh, a luncheon. Uh, it was out on the site where the uh, affiliate in Miami was building 10 houses that week. They had hundreds and hundreds of people out there in this low-income neighborhood and they were putting up 10 houses in a week and they put up a tent and they had a lot of, uh, of the leaders of the community there, city leaders, uh, business leaders, religious leaders. And we were all there and the governor of Florida was there, Governor Jeb Bush. And they were launching uh, a campaign there, just as you are launching a campaign here in the Twin Cities today. Uh, they were launching what they call their 50-50 campaign. They were trying to raise uh, in Miami uh, $5 million to build an extra 50 houses next year and another 50 houses the following year. A total of 100 additional houses. Already built 400 houses. Now they want to quickly build another 100 houses. The governor spoke and then I spoke. Among other things, I said this. I've been traveling in Florida quite a bit. And I see that many million dollar houses that are in perfectly good shape are being bulldozed down in order to build multi-million dollar houses. I said any society that can bulldoze down million dollar houses to build multi-million dollar houses ought to be ashamed of itself if it has any of its citizens living in substandard housing. Friends, there's not a shortage of money. There's, even in economic difficult times, we read in the paper about the economic downturn, but there's not a shortage of money. There's not a shortage of the skilled labor. There's not a shortage of anything to solve this solvable problem of affordable housing, of substandard housing. There's only one ingredient that's short, and that's the will to solve the problem. If we have the will to solve the problem, this solvable problem can be solved. And so I'm glad that all of you are here in this sanctuary today, and I'm glad that those who are listening in by radio are doing so. I issue this challenge. Let us commit ourselves from this day forward to work in every way we know how to change disgrace into grace and end the shame of substandard, overcrowded housing and homelessness. Let us, in the real world, in the middle of the week, practice the great principles of our religion and put God's love into actual practice so we can make a profound difference. I want to conclude today with a little story. It's one of the most powerful stories that's ever come out of Habitat for Humanity. And it's so appropriate that I tell it to you today because as I speak to you, President Carter is here in this city speaking in another forum. As I said earlier in my remarks, he is our most famous volunteer. He's a very dedicated man, a great humanitarian, a committed Christian, and a hard worker and a very effective worker in the Ministry of Habitat for Humanity. 
The story I want to tell you contains the secret of how we can lick this problem of substandard housing. It contains the formula for doing it, and it's quite a simple one. In March of 1999, we were in the Philippines with President Carter and, and Rosalind Carter. We were there with 14,000 volunteers from 32 countries. And in five days, we built 293 houses. The main site was at Maragondon. Maragondon is a city south of Manila. It's in Cavite province. If you know your World War II history, that's where the death march started in World War II. We built 130 houses there in Maragondon. The house that President and Ms. Carter worked on was the house for the Salas family. The Salas family lived in a mud and stick house in the backside of a no-name slum in that city in a very pitiful living situation. They were chosen to have their house built by the former president of the United States. You can imagine such a family, not very important people by this world's standards. You can imagine they probably hadn't had their picture taken very often in their lives. But here they were now, right in the center of the glare of the publicity about a former president being there with thousands of people building all of these houses. So the house got underway, bank of photographers, the TV people, the radio people, the newspaper people, and all week long, click, 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 click. They had their picture taken all the time. The house got built. At the end of the week, as we always do, we had a dedication service. Keys were presented, songs were sung, different speakers expressed gratitude to the different sponsors and those who had come. Uh, Fidel Ramos, former president of the Philippines, was there. He had helped build the house. Corazon Aquino, former president of the Philippines, she had helped build the house. The current president of the Philippines flew in with his fleet of helicopters and landed, and he worked for a while. Six members of the Philippine Senate were there, practically every CEO in the country was there working on that house. It was a big crowd, exciting, uh, wonderful occasion. A Bible was presented. And then the mother of that family, whose name was Leonista, she was chosen to speak for the family. The family consisted of the husband and the wife and several children and one little grandchild named Sunshine. And she was appropriately named. She was so beautiful. But Leonista Salas said this in her remarks. She said, all week long, I have kept thinking I was going to wake up, that this was a dream. She said, but then I put my hand out and there's a house there. We are actually going to have a house, a good house to live in. And we are so grateful to all of you and grateful to God for this wonderful blessing in our lives. But she said, now I want to tell you the single thing that's going to mean the most to us. She said, do you remember on Tuesday, it was blazing hot. The sun was beaming down and there was no shade and it was so hot and it was almost noon. And I looked over and Jimmy Carter was mixing up some more mortar to lay some more blocks. And I saw that he was soaking wet with sweat. There was no dry thread on his body. And I watched him as he worked, and I saw that his sweat was dripping into the mortar. Knowing that his sweat is in our house, 
will always mean the most to us. That's the secret. Are we willing to put our sweat into helping our neighbors? Our physical sweat, our financial sweat, our intellectual sweat, our emotional sweat. Are we willing to give to our neighbors all that we are and all that we have so that we really love them as much as we love ourselves? If we're willing to do that, there won't be any more poverty housing because all of the ingredients that are necessary to solve the problem are here except the sweat to make it happen. I believe that commitment is being made in this city, in these cities. And I think that commitment is being made around this great state and across this country and around the world. I believe that movement is in process and it's going to transform the world and make it a better place for all of us. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you, Millard Fuller. You are listening to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, originating from Westminster Presbyterian Church in downtown Minneapolis. I'm Tim Hart Anderson, moderator of today's forum. Today's guest is Millard Fuller, who has just spoken on Excitement is Building. While the ushers collect questions from our audience here at Westminster, I would like again to thank Wells Fargo Home Mortgage and Wells Fargo Bank Minnesota for co-sponsoring today's forum. Mr. Fuller, if you would return to the pulpit, we will begin the questions. Here's a question about the kind of support that goes to homeowners once they're in the, the new homes. What kind of uh, ongoing support does Habitat give to home, new homeowners after they've moved into the new home? Uh, Habitat Humanity is committed uh, to our homeowners being uh, successful as homeowners. So we have a family nurturing uh, program. Uh, we don't just move uh, families into a new house and say to them, good luck. Uh, we realize that families uh, that have a housing problem very typically have other problems. And uh, we help them deal with all of their problems uh, so that they can be successful uh, as owners of a new home. You seem to have enormous empathy, personally, for people who are homeless or live in substandard housing. Where did that empathy come from? I was uh, raised in a Christian home. Uh, in Alabama, we didn't wake up on Sunday morning and have a discussion about whether we'd go to church. <laughs> that would be like discussing whether we we're going to eat that week. Um, but uh, I was raised up in a religious environment. Uh, had a a, a lifelong uh, custom of uh, attending church and, and studying the scriptures, but the person uh, and the environment which enlightened me the most uh, about uh, my responsibilities as a Christian, as a person of faith, uh, was at Cornelia Farm in America's Georgia where I met uh, Clarence Jordan, who with his wife Florence had founded Cornelia Farm in 1942, uh, a Greek scholar, uh, he was, in my opinion, the person uh, 
of all of the thousands and thousands of pe persons I have met in my life, he was the person who took Jesus the most seriously and who was, I think, closest uh, to Jesus in his understanding. Clarence Jordan helped me to realize that uh, so much culture has come into the church uh, that is not in line with the, with the, with the teachings of our faith. Uh, and Clarence Jordan uh, was a person committed to following Christ in his life instead of culture. And that got him into a lot of trouble uh, in many instances. But I gained a deep, deep understanding of, uh, of the faith I had professed from childhood uh, from this great man of God, Clarence Jordan. Could you say something then of having developed this empathy, what caused you to go into this uh, wonderful volunteer effort? Uh, you know, things happen to all of us. Um, and uh, I, I was in college at the University of Alabama in law school, met a fellow student. He and I went into business together. We were law partners together. And uh, we made a lot of money very rapidly uh, and got all of the things that money can buy for you. Uh, big cars, lots of land, horses, cattle, speedboats, servants. Um, but I paid a price. Uh, in doing that. I worked all the time. I never was home. And I became estranged from my wife, Linda. She ended up leaving me and going to New York City. We were almost divorced. But out of that chaotic personal situation, uh, we decided uh, to divest ourselves of our wealth and go on a spiritual pilgrimage to find God's path for ourselves. We didn't know what that would be. Uh, and we felt very strongly that God led us to Cornania Farm, where I met Clarence Jordan, and uh, it was with him and the other people at Cornania uh, that we started a program called Partnership Housing and built one house for one low-income family, and that started what became Habitat for Humanity. How does a family qualify for a Habitat home? Uh, each affiliate, they are now 1,600, uh, the numbers go up literally every month. We approve new cities every month. In the United States, we approve new cities every month, and we are typically are starting a new city on average now every uh, five days. Uh, but uh, these local affiliates uh, have uh, family selection committees, and the family selection committees have their criteria for choosing the families, but the two basic criteria that are the same all over the world are number one, that a family must be living in inadequate housing, uh, and number two, they are unable, for whatever reason, uh, to get conventional financing. They can't go to the bank and get a conventional loan, or if they could get a loan, they wouldn't have the money to pay it back. So there are other criteria from affiliates to affiliates uh, but the two, the two main criteria that are all across the country and around the world are that, that the family should live in inadequate housing and be unable to get housing in some other way through conventional means. A question about particular constituencies you work with. Are you working in Habitat to build housing for the elderly or for disabled people who often live in substandard housing? We have a program, speaking of uh, disabled, we have an exciting program uh, to actually, two exciting programs. Number one is what we call our Ability Houses. We built the first one in Birmingham, Alabama, about two years ago, where we built a house uh, for a family where the man of the family was in a wheelchair, 
and the, the house was built entirely by other people who were disabled. 300 disabled people built the house, and it's called our Ability House Program. And we've now built several other ability houses around the country, uh, and the Lions Club International has given a tremendous boost uh, to that effort because they have committed $9 million to Habitat for Humanity, $3 million a year for three years, so that if, if an affiliate here in the Twin Cities or in some other affiliate in, in Minnesota or across the country, if you have a family that's where a member of that family is blind or in a wheelchair or disabled in some other way, you can apply to through the appropriate channels. And the Lions Club International Foundation will put up 75% of the money to build that house. And then the local Lions Clubs will put up 12.5% of the money. So the local affiliate only has to put up 12.5% to build for that uh, particular uh, family. In regard to the elderly, uh, we, we do not have a program that is targeted to the elderly, but we build a lot of houses for people of all ages. Uh, but we don't have a specific program where we build housing for the elderly. Here's a question that's appropriate given that uh, President Bush is in town today announcing uh, some new energy initiatives from his administration. What standards has Habitat adopted for its rehab or new housing in terms of energy efficiency? Can Habitat help fulfill national energy conservation goals? Habitat Humanity is very concerned about uh, the energy situation. And uh, we have in Habitat what we call the green team. Uh, we have a construction resources department, and the green team is a part of that. Uh, and uh, we are constantly expanding uh, the influence of this green team all across the country. You have to understand that each Habitat local affiliate operates as an autonomous organization. We are tied together through a covenant. But we make available resources and we make uh, this green team available because we want to encourage uh, the building of very energy efficient houses. You think about it, the person or the family least able to build, uh, to pay big energy bills is a low-income family. So we want the houses to be very energy efficient, and we promote that on a very aggressive basis all the time. Has Habitat ever used government money in its projects, and do you have an opinion on President Bush's faith-based program of government support? Habitat Humanity uh, seeks uh, a good relationship with government at all levels. Uh, at the same time, we function as a Christian organization, and. Uh, we function as a grassroots uh, movement. Uh, so we want a partnership with government, but we don't want to have an unlimited partnership with government. We don't want to just open the doors and say, we'll take all of the funding we can get. Because I think it would be the death knell of Habitat Humanity if we became known as a government program. Uh, so we do not accept government funding for the building of houses. Uh, we have a program administered through HUD it's called the SHOP program, Self-Help Housing Opportunity Program, that provides money to purchase land. And uh, we've got, we're up to about $80 million that has been provided to affiliates across the United States to buy land, put in streets, sidewalks, infrastructure of various kinds, to what we call set the stage. And we use AmeriCorps volunteers, and through another uh, program, capacity building program, we get warehouse, warehouses uh, built or renovated and uh, we put up restores, which takes uh, uh, reused uh, ma building materials and it's sold to the public to generate income for Habitat for Humanity. Um, and uh, 
And that's, this formula seems to work well for us. Uh, in some other countries, we have a little bit different formula in terms of the partnership we have with government. But nowhere in the world do we just let down the barriers and say, government come in and basically run Habitat for Humanity. We want it always to be a strongly uh, based uh, uh, ministry of, of people of faith, people of, uh, of putting God's love into action, and uh, we want that grassroots component to it. In regard to the faith-based initiative, uh, uh, Habitat for Humanity has, uh, has, I think, has been for a long time what President Bush is talking about. So for us, it's nothing uh, new. Uh, but uh, the concern that I have, and I've heard some other uh, uh, religious leaders express the same concern, is, uh, is again, tipping the balance. Where it's, it's a thin line you walk uh, of, of separation of church and state. And if you go over, it won't be some member of President Bush's administration who causes a problem. It'll be somebody filing a lawsuit against you through the ACLU or in some way like that uh, and, and saying, you know, you're using a lot of government funds, so you can't pass out Bibles, you can't sing Amazing Grace, you can't say prayers of dedication. Uh, and again, I think if that happened, it would be a very serious blow uh, to our work and I think to other faith-based ministries if you, uh, you know, if you go over the line and get so entangled with government that you can't function uh, as a faith-inspired, faith-based organization. Somewhat related question about influencing policymakers uh, on the issue of affordable housing. What can we do or what can an individual or a community do to influence public policy to make affordable housing a top priority? I've heard President Carter say on numerous occasions that he's learned more about the problems of the poor through Habitat Humanity than anything he learned when he was governor or president. And the reason, the way he's learned that is we've, he's become, he's, he has come face to face with families in need. He knows them by name. Uh, I know them by name. Uh, others who've worked, many of you here in the audience here, you know families by name. You know the children, you know the mothers, you know the fathers, you know what their income is, you know what their living situation is. And when you know it, when, it, when, when a statistic becomes a name and a face and children and mothers and fathers, it's different. And so what we're trying to do in Habitat Humanity is put this, uh, decision makers face to face with the problem. That's why in 1998, we asked every member of Congress, every member of the House of Representatives to build a Habitat House. 377 of them did that. Uh, then we asked all the First Ladies to build a house. Now, on March 7 of this year, we built the first Senate-built houses. We, we ask every, we've asked every member of the United States Senate to build a Habitat House. They voted unanimously to do it. And I went on March 7 to the Capitol Heights District uh, in Washington, and we kicked off the building of the first two houses built by U.S. Senators. And here again is an example of the theology of the hammer. Trent Lott and Tom Daschle, the top Republican and top Democrat, were working partners. They worked this close together all morning long, and they got into not one single argument. Uh, it, was a, it was a miraculous thing. And, uh, and throughout the remainder of this year, Senators have come back. The senators, I think, have already been uh, lined up to come back in and build houses here in Minnesota. One, I think, here in the Twin Cities. Another one's going to build in another part of the state. But every United States senator has agreed to do that in their home states. And they're going to get to know these families. They're going to shake their hands and go and see where they were living and learn about their living situation. Uh, 
And now we've taken it down another level. Every member of the assembly in Ohio has agreed to build a habitat house. Every member of the assembly in the state of Tennessee has agreed to build a habitat house. The legislature in the state of Mississippi has just voted to have every member of the Mississippi legislature build a house. And maybe every member of your legislature should build a habitat house. Why not? Why not? Now a series of questions about particular houses that Habitat builds. What is the average out-of-pocket cost of a Habitat house? The, the cost varies all over the world. Uh, habitat is building uh, for people uh, who live in the garbage dumps in Cairo, Egypt. They don't live near the garbage, they live in the garbage. And they make their living scavenging uh, in the garbage. We build two-story houses where they put the garbage in the first floor and they live on the second floor. Because that's how they live, they scavenge in the garbage. So we're building from that kind of, you know, almost unbelievable situation <clears throat> uh, to the houses that you build in the Twin Cities. In the United States, <clears throat> a typical habitat house is about $45,000. Uh, here in the Twin Cities, it runs a little more than that. Uh, in other places, it's less, in other places, more. But in the developing world, around the world, uh, about $2,000 to $5,000 per house is what they cost because the houses are so incredibly modest uh, in places like El Salvador and, and the rural uh, lower income areas of Mexico and in the Dominican Republic and so forth in the countries across Africa. So the range is all the way from $2,000 uh, to about $100,000 in some of the high, in some places in California, you got to pay $50,000 for the lot. Uh, in a low-income neighborhood. So you got $50,000 before you ever have done anything, and then you have to pay in some communities a lot of impact fees and other permitting fees and so forth, and you're up to $70,000 in fees and land before you've done a thing. So then your house is $100,000, $120,000, But in places like the Silicon Valley or King County in Washington, even a $100,000, $120,000 house is a low-income house. A habitat in the U.S. has tended to focus on single-family homes. Are there plans to add multi-family multi housing to the mix? Uh, yes, we, we build uh, uh, multi-family housing. In fact, uh, a while ago I said that Jimmy Carter's first project was renovating a six-story building for 19 families uh, in New York City. And uh, we went back to New York in September of last year uh, and uh, renovated another building in Harlem a five-story building uh, for 10 families, one of whom was the 100,000th uh, uh, homeowner family in Habitat for Humanity. But in other cities, we do uh, townhouses. Uh, uh, we've built two uh, six-story tall buildings on the uh, Suez Canal uh, in uh, northern Egypt. Uh, and in other communities, especially in urban areas where land is a, such a premium, uh, you have to go up. Uh, in order to make it economically uh, possible. Why do you think that safe, decent, affordable housing must necessarily mean that the homes are owner-occupied? Why don't you focus some of Habitat's time and energy on affordable rental housing? We don't want to become a gigantic landlord, <laughs> uh, which is what you would become if you build a house every 26 minutes and start renting them out. Uh, in uh, short order, you would uh, be a landlord with all of the problems that go with being a landlord. Uh, we, we want to empower people, uh, and, and rental programs have their place. I'm not uh, here to criticize rental programs, 
but Habitat for Humanity's niche uh, is home ownership, and I think uh, that's what we should concentrate on. Uh, we believe, and our experience has been from all of these 25 years that we've been working at this, is that most families, not all families, but most families are capable of home ownership. If you give them uh, the opportunity and you, you structure it right so that they can afford the payments, uh, they are capable of home ownership. And if they are homeowners, uh, it just does something positive for people. That has been our experience, and we've seen studies that have revealed and indicated very clearly that there is a very positive aspect uh, to home ownership, and that's what we would like to continue doing in Habitat is, is uh, offering home ownership opportunities to families. You've identified Habitat for Humanity as a specifically Christian ministry. How effective is Habitat at working with people of other faiths? Uh, I think we've done pretty well. Um, we, we are not an exclusive uh, organization. We have no, uh, I, I tell audiences all over the world, we have no doctrine in Habitat. We're not a church. Uh, we see ourselves as a servant uh, to the church, a servant to all of the church. We're not Catholic, we're not Protestant, we're not liberal, we're not conservative. We cover the whole gamut. We are servant of the church. Uh, the only doctrine we have is that if you do not have a Habitat Humanity bumper sticker on your car, you're living in sin. Uh, <laughs> because we are trying to eliminate poverty housing and we want to promote that idea to everybody. And so we reach our hands out to, to people of other faiths, to, to people who are Jewish, to Hindus, to Buddhists, to, to Islam. Um, but as I like to say to people, we don't have to exclude Jesus to include somebody else. So there are some people who would say, uh, I don't want to hear about Jesus because I'm not a Christian and it offends me uh, to hear about Jesus. But we say in Habitat Humanity, we are openly and unashamedly a Christian ministry, but a Christian ministry with open arms and open hearts who want to embrace and include anybody that wants to work with us. Uh, but if you come in and say, the precondition for my working with you is that you get rid of Jesus, then we say, you're not gonna be working with us because we won't, we're not gonna sell Jesus out as a precondition for your involvement. Obviously, there's something about Habitat for Humanity that touches a nerve or strikes a chord in so many thousands of volunteers across this nation and others. What specifically strikes that chord, in your view? Somebody's once said that Americans will support anything they can take a picture of. <laughs> and, uh, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, when you get through with a Habitat house, you can hug the homeowners and cry with them and take a picture and know you've made a difference. And uh, there are a lot of organizations that all of us believe in and we support, but you're not quite sure when the whole thing's over exactly what you've done. Uh, so I think a lot of people like the aspect of Habitat Humanity that it's visible, that you can see it, you can meet the homeowners, and you can cry with them and hug them and take a picture of their house and go in and sit down in the living room and, and just experience what it is that your generosity has created. And I think that's a factor. And then also, uh, it's just the, the, the idea of being able to uh, activate what you've learned over the years in church and Sunday school and other houses of worship, that you can actually put into practice what you think is, you know, what you should be doing, of activating and demonstrating your love. A number of the people here in the audience, in the sanctuary and listening on radio are active in Habitat for Humanity. What are some of the pieces of advice you would offer to them as they go about their work, either volunteering or coordinating in Habitat projects? Don't get weary in doing good work. 
and make sure that, that it's square and level and plumb. And uh, don't build an inferior product. Uh, and keep your eyes on the goal. I see some affiliates that fall into what I call lottery for humanity. You know what lottery for humanity is? A few nice houses for a few lucky families. I never have envisioned God from heaven looking down and saying, hey, psst, psst, I got a new instruction for you. Build a few nice houses for a few lucky families and just let the rest of them go to hell. I don't think that's what God said. Uh, I think the message from heaven is that his love extends to the whole crowd. And if God's love extends to the whole crowd in the context of shelter, that means that we got to make sure that the whole crowd has as a minimum a simple, decent place to live on terms they can afford to pay. Is that common sense? Is that something we all can embrace? And time for one last question. It has to do with the describing for those perhaps in our audience who are unfamiliar with how Habitat works. How can these folks get involved? How does a Habitat project begin? A particular home, how is it built, et cetera? Uh, you can call 1-800-HABITAT. Uh, that's a phone line that rings in our headquarters in America's Georgia. And you can just say, Millard Fuller told me to call. <laughs> and then ask whatever you want to ask, and we will come up with an answer for you. Or you can look on our website, www.habitat.org. And you can uh, look into all of the different programs. We have a global village program that sends people overseas to build habitat houses. We send, an, on average, a group out every day, 400 groups a year, to build houses around the world. Uh, you can call 1-800-HABITAT to find out if there's a local affiliate near where you live. Or you can look in the phone book in your town under Habitat Humanity. Uh, you can ask probably any church in town if Habitat is there. The churches would know about it because we have such a close alignment with the, uh, with the congregations around uh, the country. And if you find out there is no Habitat affiliate uh, in your town and you would like to have one, again, get in touch with uh, either the state organization or some nearby affiliate, and we will hold your hand and we'll help you bring it into existence. If there is a will to create a new affiliate and start building houses for low-income families, uh, we'll help you make that happen. So. Uh, if you, if you have the desire uh, to be a part of this and want to be involved, we need you. Uh, as I say, Habitat can use anybody, even a totally unskilled person we can use as a bad example. 